Find you in Facebook Live. Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. We've got a lot of slides to cover tonight, so let's get started right away. Uh, first, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are a revealer of secrets. Lord, not only that, that you want to fill us, you want to uh, straighten us, uh, you want to repair us, you want to heal us, you want to deliver us. Help us, Lord, to allow you to work in our lives, that we would bring you glory and praise, and we thank you in the wonderful name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everybody say, Amen. Okay. <clears throat> We are focusing on what the Word of God says are the first principles of the oracles of God, the elementary teachings of the doctrine of Christ. What are you building? Is it God's house or something else? In the Old Testament, prior to the destruction of Solomon's temple, which was God's house in the Old Testament, the priests were told to weep between the porch and the altar. And in our last lesson, we learned that the molten sea was broken into pieces and carried into Babylon. And we learned that the molten sea was a representation of baptism. Well, there was another thing that was between the porch and the altar. The priests were anointed for the very first time before they ever became a priest, were anointed with oil, which is a reflection of the Holy Ghost. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. So if you've been following our previous lessons, we have pointed out that the scripture clearly identifies the first things we are to know and teach in God's word. Hebrews 5, 12, 6 to 2. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as of need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongs to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. This addresses those who have not learned and taught the fundamental truths. Going on, verse 1 of chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, laying on hands, resurrection, dead, and eternal judgment. So, out of these seven first principles, we are going to look closely at number four, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So let's talk first about the New Testament. This is something that is misunderstood by the world and a whole lot of churches. And because the world is so confused over it, Sometimes it affects God's church. So I have three questions that I would like us to consider tonight. We know that John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. 
So we know what his purpose was. But what does the scripture say that the Lord's purpose was? What did he have in mind to do? And I know everybody will say, well, crucify. Well, there's more to it than that. Scripture says in Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him, stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Going on to verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Clearly, we can see that Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. Like John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. The end of the law and the final sacrifice. But was that it? Did he come just to cover our sins? To be the sacrifice for our wickedness? And to give us healing? Was that God's ultimate purpose? Isaiah says in another place, the Spirit of the Lord, Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to com comfort all that mourn. Isaiah depicts something a little more. Jesus is going to preach to the meek. His life here was not just to cover our sins. And what did he preach? The kingdom of God. He wanted us to trade sin's results of brokenheartedness, captivity, and prison for healing, freedom, and liberty. To comfort those that mourn. Continuing with verse 3, it says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. To appoint unto them that mourn. That tells me there's somebody in a prayer room someplace. And those are the people he's talking to. But Isaiah goes on and says, For ashes, mourning, and heaviness, they would receive beauty, oil of joy, and the garment of praise. That they would be the planning of the Lord. And remember what Jesus said? That he was the vine and we are the branches. And if we abide in him, we can ask whatever 
and he will hear us and answer. But is that it? Is that the end of his purpose? Jesus himself tells us when he has asked the apostles, who do you say I am? And Peter responds and tells him, and Jesus responds to Peter and says, and Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, or upon this revelation that you have just received, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, and this we see that Jesus had yet another purpose, to build a new temple. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, David desired to build God a house so that God would dwell among his people. But God told him, you can't, your son can't. So yes, Solomon, the son of David, built this magnificent temple that existed in the old time, a larger version of the tabernacle in the wilderness that was built for God to dwell among his people. Exodus 25 and 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. The scripture defines the temple and the sacrifices as a shadow of things to come in Hebrews chapter 10. Now you might understand why I keep using Joel's prophecy and words weep between the porch and the altar. Now, in the New Testament, we see Jesus, the son of David, saying, I'm going to build my church. The real house, the real temple, that is in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that shines its shadow down on the Old Testament. It's been God's desire to dwell among his people forever. But when was that accomplished? Malachi the prophet tells us in chapter 3 verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, the Messiah, the King, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, saith Jehovah of hosts. In this verse, the prophet prophesied of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, and then declares that the old Testament temple to be his. The Lord will come to his temple. And in the previous slide we read, I will build my church, his church, his temple. Then Malachi says that Jesus is the messenger of the covenant. So Jesus here is described as the one who would bring the New Testament into existence. When did that happen? 
John the Baptist declared, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Here, John the Baptist, the Lord's waymaker, declares one more thing that the Lord would do. He will not only take away the sins of the world, but he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. In order for you to receive something that is holy, you've got to get cleaned up. You need a sacrifice. His sacrifice was for our cleansing so that we could receive what was holy. He wants to make you his house. Jesus himself added in John 4, 10 and 13 and 14. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give to me drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drink of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I will give you living water that brings everlasting life. The next verse lets us know what this living water is. In John 7 and 37 and 39, in the last days, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, for he was not yet glorified. Both John the Baptist and Jesus pointed to an internal infilling of the Holy Ghost, the living water that gives eternal life. Now that we have seen the manifold purpose of Jesus, what he wanted to accomplish, let's now look at what, the, what is the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the New Testament was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. God gave a promise to Israel, a promise to Israel that through the prophets, here Jeremiah says, the days are going to come that I will put my laws on the inside of you. And then I will be your God and you shall be my people. 
This is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new testament. Ezekiel also says something about it in Ezekiel 11, 19. And I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your, their flesh, and will give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statues and keep my ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. The prophet Ezekiel describes a new spirit will I put within you, so that they will walk right. And like Jeremiah talks about their heart, so does Ezekiel. And also closes with the same, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Ezekiel in another place, verse chapter 36, 26 and 28. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you, within you, and cause you to walk in my statues, and ye shall keep my judgments, and do them, and ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and ye shall be my people, and I will be your God. Ezekiel, a second time, describes a new heart, a new spirit. Well, God put in people. And he declares that this is his spirit. And again says, ye shall be my people, I will be your God. Then we have the prophet Joel, who prophesies in the second chapter of Joel, verses 27 and 28. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. So, like Ezekiel, the prophet Joel declares that God will give people his spirit. He will put his spirit in them. I am the Lord your God, and my people reflects the previous, you shall be my people, and I will be your God. As well as something new we see here, something more, something that will change the heart of man, an indwelling spirit that will cause them to walk right. And not just Israel, but everyone. Then we have Matthew 3 and 10. No wonder John uh, said what he said. He knew the Old Testament. That's what he had. That's what he read. And he knew what the promises were. And so when he sees Jesus, he says, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. He's going to put something in you because it's promised. That's God's purpose. God wants to make you 
his house. So, now that we have seen the Lord's purpose, and the New Testament is the promised Spirit of God living in us, let's look at the final question. When does the New Testament really begin? The dictionary defies, defines testament as a will. If you have children that you want to provide for, no doubt you have gone to the local attorney's office and filed for a will. A document that describes that all your assets will be given to your children at the time of your death. This document is called a will and testament. And those who you stipulate to receive this inheritance are termed heirs, H-E-I-R-S. We find all these words in our New Testament. Will, inheritance, heir, testator, testament. Yet the world fails to put these puzzle pieces together. Paul said in Hebrews 9, 16 through 19, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats. Just like your will and testament, you must die before the heirs can receive what you've got in your house. Jesus, the testator of this New Testament, had to die before his children, people that were born of his water and his spirit, could become the heirs of what he had in his house, his temple. And no, Paul describes the law or the old covenant as the first testament in verses 18 and 19. Now consider what Jesus said in John 14, verses 3, 16, 20, and 26. Well, 3, 16, and 20, first. And if I go to prepare a place for you, so the Lord went away to build a house. Verse 16, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. He's promising you the Holy Ghost. It's a promise. Verse 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Now looking at verse, four, or verse 26 of 14, and uh, 16 and 7. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. The testator knew he had to die before the heirs could receive what he had in his house. Remember what John 7.39 said? For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, for he was not yet glorified. Paul writes to both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and he says this in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own. And then in 2 Corinthians 6 and 16, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Past tense. I will dwell in them and walk in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So here Paul, the apostle, lets us see that the church, the temple of God, is you and I. That is if you have been if you have believed, repented, been baptized in Jesus' name, and received the Holy Ghost. And this, is, this experience is what causes God to become our God and we his people. God hath said, in verse 6 and 16 of 2 Corinthians, God hath said, indicates that Paul's looking at the past. And reading Jeremiah or Ezekiel. It's the Holy Ghost he's talking about. Paul in Hebrews 10 and 16, that is if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. Paul here in Hebrews is quoting Jeremiah while he is teaching the church on the New Testament. So, when you open your Bible to the New Testament, keep in mind that the Gospels are the history of the testator and not the New Testament. And that the thief on the cross didn't die in the New Testament. For Jesus had not died yet. And he had to go away so that the heirs could receive the earnest of their inheritance, the New Testament experience, the Holy Ghost in us. The promise. So, John 16 and 7. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. I have to go away in order for the Holy Spirit to replace the comfort that my presence has given you in the past. Remember what John 4 and 18 said, 14 18 said? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He's the Comforter. And then Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In whom also after that ye believed, 
ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment of your inheritance until the redemption. And the New Testament did not exist until after his death. Hebrews 9 and 17, for a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Therefore, on the day of Pentecost, when they were in the upper room and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost came, this was the beginning of the New Testament. The infilling of the Holy Spirit and the first people that believed as the scripture has said. In Acts 2, 16 and 17, Peter gets up and he preaches and he says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. The disciples were told to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued from power on high. Acts 1 and 4. And the day of Pentecost came. The harvest of first fruits. Fifty days after Passover, when they reached Sinai, where the law was given to them. And these were the first to receive the Spirit in them, the law in them the first fruits of God's harvest. What Jesus possessed in his house, they now possessed. The law written in their hearts. This is where the New Testament began. This is the first time people were filled with the Holy Spirit of promise. And Peter goes on preaching to Jews that had come from all over the world to celebrate Pentecost. And we come to verse 33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. Now, Peter wasn't talking about the rushing mighty wind or the cloven tongues like a sapphire. These people were not seeing that. For if they had been, they would have reacted entirely different. But rather, they were seeing and hearing them battling. And some of them were hearing this one or that one speak in their own country's language. And others just thought, oh, they're drunk, they're foolish. While Peter preached to the Jew, these Jews and said, this is the promise given by the prophets. Men and brethren, this is the promise. This is what John the Baptist and Jesus pointed at. So now we come to the very first time someone in the New Testament said, what do I do? 
I've got blood on my hands, the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the first altar call. The very beginning of the New Testament. After the promised spirit had filled Peter. Peter preached his first Holy Spirit anointed sermon. And the people asked, what do we do? Acts 2 and 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That was Peter's answer. Peter's response was clearly obeying the Lord, what the Lord had told him. Matthew 28, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name, not the words, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Is that what's up there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and if you will do this, if you will obey the word of the Lord, you will be the planning of the Lord, abiding in the vine. You will be his house, my church, his temple. He will dwell in you. You will be his heir, having possession of what he had. He will truly be your God and you his people. You will have the beginning of an intimate relationship with the Lord. So, when my house was built, before they laid the foundation, they had to clear the land. They had to pull up some trees. They had to remove some boulders. They had to clear it away. This is kind of like repentance. We got to remove the false stuff and the bad stuff, get it out of the way. And in like fashion, we need to look at what false churches say the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost is and what it is not. And according to the Bible, Acts the eighth chapter, beginning with verse five. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Now Philip was a man handpicked. Acts 6 and 3 says, a man of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And he preached Christ. The people gave heed. They eagerly heard those things which Philip spoke. Faith was present. Devils were cast out. Paralyzed, crippled, and lame were healed. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. There's a lot of faith in that city. Verse 8. And there was great joy in the city. 
But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is a great power of God. And to him they had regard, because that of a long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip's preaching, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So there was great joy. And they believed what Philip preached. And he preached the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. And he preached the name of Jesus Christ. Remember when the uh, 70 returned and said, Lord, even the devils, besides everything else, are subject unto us through that name. I'm adding a little bit to it, but that's, it's there. And then they were baptized. Well, I think that message is us. We teach Holy Ghost and the name. And then verse 13. Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So, they not only had faith, they were baptized, they believed, they had great joy, they gave heed, but they also received the word of God. And there are a lot of Christians outside of these walls who would say, they've got the Holy Ghost. But of course, we've read verses 15 and 16 and know that they didn't have the Holy Ghost. Verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, give me this power that on whomsoever I lay my hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Now this is the guy who continued with Philip and wondered. He was amazed, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. He saw palsies healed, lame walk, devils cast out, saw faith in action, saw people get baptized. He got baptized, he believed. Great joy, that's a fruit of the Spirit. People giving heed and receiving the word of God. And when Peter and John laid hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost, what did he see? Accept the Lord as my personal Savior? I don't think so. On the day of Pentecost, 120 received the Holy Ghost, and every one of them started speaking in tongues. All at the same time, not by course. 
When the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost, it was not just Cornelius, but in Acts 10 and 24, it says Cornelius had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And then in Acts 10 and 27, it says Peter found many that were come together. In Acts 10, 45 and 46, it says on these Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. In Acts the 19th chapter, Paul, finding certain disciples, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said, unto what then were ye baptized? He expected them to be baptized. And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the, unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all these men were about twelve. Each time we find that all speak with tongues. This is 25 to 28 years after Pentecost. So this has been going on for a long time. And mind you, what Paul started out with, the foundation. Have you received the Holy Ghost? How were you baptized? Jesus told earthly stories to describe heavenly ones. They're a parable. And here he talks about birth, something that takes place on earth. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How? Jesus answered, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto ye, must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. But canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is everyone that is born of the spirit. Just like a baby is brought into this world, there is a father and a mother. And we have Jesus and his bride, the church, the father and the mother. In this world, we have seed or sperm and an egg. In his world, we have the anointed seed, the word of God, that comes from the pulpit, and the heart that receives the word, the, the good ground, the planting. Her water's got to break. You're commanded to be baptized in the name of Jesus. 
You've got to break that water. And everyone in the area hears the sound of life when that newborn comes into the world. Because it's going to make some noise. The language of life. The scripture says, so is everyone that is born with the Spirit. The wind bloweth wordlessness, and thou hearest the sound. So, someone would contend with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. Let's look at that. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is no. But let's back up and look a little further and look look at this a little deeper. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. Just a small section of Corinthians. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. To another the word of knowledge. To another faith. I hope you see what I see. Not everybody has the gift of wisdom, yet everybody has some wisdom. Everybody has some knowledge, but not everybody has the gift of knowledge. And everybody sure better have some faith, but not everybody has the gift of faith. And I say, everybody will speak with tongues, but not all will have the gift that operates in the church. And when Paul is describing when you read the 12th chapter and you see all these gifts that are operating, that's what the church should look like. There should be prophecy, tongues and interpretation, gifts of healing, discernment. And if it's not there, that means either you don't have faith for it, you're sick, or you're a false church. So have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? God wants you to be his temple. He wants intimacy with you. He wants to trade your ashes and mourning and heaviness for him. For his beauty. His joy. He wants to put it in you and give you a garment of praise, a New Testament experience. Jesus died so that you could have what he had in his house, power to influence this world, a light in darkness. He wants you to be born of his spirit. He wants to put his character in you. Acts 2.39 For the promises to you and to your children and all that are far off. He wants us to be full of his spirit and let him rule and reign in your body. It's for you. He died for your sin and what he had can be yours tonight.
If you don't have it, just turn to him, repent, and call on his name. God bless you.